Hello and welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Nick Barr, recording on Tuesday evening in early August. It's been a while. I missed you. I, I've been slacking off, I guess. I, I did write a Medium post, um, so I guess I haven't been totally remiss in my bar recordings, but uh, it's probably been another two or three weeks since the last barcast. So to my two, I, I might be three patrons, Patreons. Are you a Patreon patron or a Patreon? Well, I, I apologize to you and I hope you get your money's worth with this one. I, I'm worried that you won't though, because this is going to be uh, extremely scatterbrained on a subject where I really have no excuse. Uh, that is to say, this is like a pretty meaty subject that lots of people have written about. I'm sure they've said smart things. I've done none of that research. I just wanted to get some ideas out. And and I want to talk about metaphor. Uh, yeah, so the reason I wanted to get it some ideas down on metaphor is I just picked up a very fat textbook called Images of Organization. I'd seen the title floating around. I really liked the title um, and I heard it was weird. Um, I'll, I'll post a link in the show notes and I'll try to find a link to the table of contents, which you can get for free because the table of contents is really... Um, I haven't gotten much further than that. I'm probably two chapters in and the table of contents is what drew me. Essentially the author Gareth Morgan, Gareth Morgan. Uh, I wonder if he's Welsh. Uh, he, he's going to take us through um, many metaphors for organization, explaining them. Oh, sorry. Metaphors for organizations. Uh, that is, you know, companies. Um, and so he's going to, he's going to take us through metaphors and, and they're sort of sequential or, or in some kind of order. And I'm, I'm looking at the introduction and chapter one is organization as a machine. Chapter two is organization as organism. Um, the chapter I'm on right now is starting to think of an organization as a brain, right? And so for each of these, <clears throat> go into some detail and he'll sort of say this is the strength of that metaphor. This is the weakness of that metaphor. And that's when he's using the word image for Morgan. I, my understanding is metaphor and image are interchangeable. Uh, I'm looking forward to the later chapters where things will get weirder um, reading from this. Um, in chapter seven, the focus shifts to a more abstract metaphor. The idea that organizations are psychic prisons where people become trapped by their own thoughts, ideas, and beliefs, or by the unconscious mind. Chapter 8 investigates another image. This time we are invited to understand organization as flux and transformation by focusing on the logics of change, shaping social life, etc. You know, and it's, it's, I think that'll sort of be it. Like, I don't, I don't know if the book has much more to say. Let's, let's go toward the end. Um, He says, as you read these different chapters, you are going to experience the core message of this book. Each chapter invites you to engage in a mode of thinking that generates important insights while having major limitations. You are likely to be attracted to certain metaphors and be impatient with others. 
or you may find competing metaphors equally compelling or attractive. As you pursue a favored perspective, you're going to find the insights of others eliminated from view. In this way, the book invites you to explore and deal with the paradox of metaphor. So absorb and enjoy the process. Gain comfort in dealing with competing viewpoints, for this is one of the key competencies that needs to be developed as a basis for effective management. So kind of like a chill um, explanation of a somewhat unusual structure. Um, and so I'm excited to read it, but I'm, I'm probably as excited or even more excited by the structure itself. And I think Morgan sort of reinforces that excitement when he says like the, the message is the experience of reading, right? So it's, it's not like chapter seven is going to be the thesis. The thesis is, um, look what happens when you apply, um, many lenses or, or metaphors or images. And it's funny, you know, we talk about metaphors, so there'll be the metaphors themselves of organization as city, organization as brain, but the fun part of reading and writing and interacting with text is, and, and language is language is metaphor. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who to point to for that. Like who's, who's done the, who's done the legwork to talk about language as metaphor. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where the, the thinker or the writer or the philosopher or the linguist, who, who is that person? Um, but I, for example, we can just go back and read one of these paragraphs. Um, as you read these different chapters, you're going to experience the core. Okay. So core is an interesting, um, metaphor core is physical space core, um, root, nug, nut, a message of this book. Each chapter invites, well, chapters don't invite, but now you have an invitation, inviting, um, beckoning, coming in, and to engage, engaging, uh, combat, battle, um, in a mode, I don't even, I don't know the history mode, mode of thinking that generates creation, generating important insights, seeing, while having major limitations, you're likely to be attracted, uh, pulled in, physically brought in to certain metaphors and be impatient with others. You may find competing, again, competition, battle, equally compelling, compelling, bring in physical or attractive, physical, sexual, um, as you pursue chasing, running a favored perspective site, you're going to find, encounter the insights of others eliminated from view. So like, that's just a chill, uh, it's just a chill paragraph. Like he wasn't trying to do anything. So once you start to apply metaphorical lenses to writing, you can find all sorts of stuff. And, and I think one of the interesting things about metaphor to me is like, I don't know where to draw the line. So some of the metaphors are obvious. I think things like core or pursue or invite, those are, are, have quite, obvious analogs in the physical world that we still employ. Um, but then there's others where it's a little bit more etymological. So for instance, insight, seeing into, well, probably a lot of us you say insight without thinking of seeing or perspective. I'm sure if we broke down perspective, uh, there'd be some etymological root that's interesting there. Um, eliminated from view. View is used all the time in, in such common language that it's 
um, you know, we're, we're kind of the, we're blind to the metaphor. Um, I, I think where, where, where I get really interested with language and metaphor is prepositions. Um, we'll just keep reading and see if we find one. Um, well, I'm not, I'm not going to waste our time trying to hunt down metaphor, uh, prepositions. Let's just talk about them. So, you know, um, through reading this book. So through is prepositions are always about physical space in, on, through, about, around, um, like, and prepositions are so interesting. I remember, uh, for some reason this stuck with me in, in undergrad when we were working on generative grammars, like nouns, adjectives, adverbs, verbs, all these are unbounded in size, right? So you can just generate more and more and more nouns without screwing up the language. Prepositions are, are bounded. We have, we don't have a lot more prepositions than we did a thousand years ago. And there aren't that many of them. There's like 14 or 15. So if you, if you were trying to like plant a flag somewhere in your generative grammar, you might, you might sort of make the backbone prepositions. Um, so prepositions, there's something sort of ancient and interesting about them. And they're the most metaphorical because they're creating relationships between concepts that are almost always physical in space. Right. So, um, Again, you know, through reading this, we will understand. Uh, so we've really now created a picture of a, a process of reading um, out of which we will um, arrive. We, we will come, we'll go through it um, or, you know, on that subject. Um, and I, the other thing that's so interesting about prepositions is prepositions tend to be arbitrary in that one of the things that people struggle with when learning a new language, particularly English, is the correct usage of prepositions. Uh, on and in, for example, there's no, uh, I, there's just really no logic behind it. And so um, oftentimes you'll hear uh, English as a second language speaker struggling with those. Their, their English might otherwise be perfect, but um, um, what, what's an example? Uh, you know, in the subject, maybe, I don't know. In Spanish, there is no difference between N and, I mean, they're both N, in and on, but then there's sobre, which is like about, or super, right? Sobre, super, uh, above, on top of, that itself is used in more nuanced ways than our uh, above, or, or we don't really have a super obvious analog to sobre, I guess. I mean, on, I would say is, on does most of the heavy lifting of, of Soray. So, I mean, on the one hand, that's a detour. On the other hand, that's kind of the bulk of what I'm interested in when it comes to metaphors. There's so much to, to dig into there, into dig, going deeper. Uh, and I, I would love to learn more about our latest theories about the role of metaphor in the brain. It's so funny because like somehow we've gotten away from this. I was thinking about a metaphor on the train ride back home and remembered words from like ninth grade writing class, like met metonymy and synecdoche. I, I, I forget which one is the city in New York and which one is the concept. The, you know, these are all Greek as is metaphor. And they they were big aspects of rhetoric 
which was itself like a big old subject that people studied and was taught in schools. And we just don't like, I don't know, we got rid of it, which is bizarre. It's almost like a dark art now. There's a, there's a very few people who are very good at rhetoric and they seem to be uh, doing quite well for themselves in the world while the rest of us kind of, it's as far as cultural memory goes, I, I just think we don't, we don't have it anymore. And yet like there's still traces of it because like all of us had to learn metaphor and simile and metaphor is this is that. And simile is this is like that. And some of us probably had to do metonymy. Met, yeah, I guess it's metonymy, synecdoche, whatever the fuck. Um, if, if we went to a, a private school, maybe we got that extra nudge, but, but then it's like, it, it's, it's like, so what, to what end? It's sort of this weird, um, appendage, a weird, uh, um, vestigial organ of probably of, of Latin and Greek and classical education that, um, somehow got left over. Metaphor itself is an interesting word because a metaphor is one of those empty words, which is like metaphor is not a metaphor. So it's so image uh, as an images of organization, image can be used as a synonym for metaphor, but image itself has meaning as, uh, you know, an image, a, a picture, right? And so when we use the word image as metaphor, we're also inviting a, a visual and, 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 you know, confusingly, the visual is a visual. Uh, so when I think of images of organization, I think of um, almost one of those uh slide slideshows right or, or a projector where we can project multiple images and, and choose from them um I, I i like i also like the more active lens i'm a big fan of lenses and prismatic perspectives so if if an image is me sitting there and i click the projector a lens is me i always imagine some sort of cool diamond or something looking at the world through this multifaceted object that I can manipulate. Um, so I, I take more agency in my perspective. And so I think that's the only difference between a lens and an image, right? Is a lens is an object that we manipulate to see the world differently. And an image is um, basically a model, you know, something that um, is our picture of the world. Um, and of course, those those two can be combined, and it's probably actually the more accurate thing, which is we apply lenses to manipulate the image that we see, but the image is still an image. We we never see the world as it is. So, uh, and again, even here, I'm I'm conflating metaphors for seeing with how we actually see, which is itself problematic. Um, but going back to the word metaphor and its emptiness, metaphor doesn't mean anything to us. Met metaphor is like very, in today's world, metaphor does a very good job of meaning one thing, which is metaphor. I did look up what it comes from, and it, at some point it meant transfer. So maybe if we were in ancient Greece, metaphor would be problematic because they're like, well, do you want to, do you mean it in the literal sense of transferring it, or do you mean sort of a an image transfer, but now metaphor just has a job and it's to do metaphor. That's what I like about these old words, simile, metaphor, metonymy, like they are totally empty. Um, and I was wondering, like, I wonder if that's almost the M that's the opposite of metaphor is, is an empty word, a word that only has that purpose. Uh, right. So, um, unlike the word image, um, image is a powerful metaphor word 
because it evokes something else, but metaphor doesn't evoke anything. I wonder if, if the opposite of metaphor is jargon. Uh, I could have sworn I wrote a post at some point called In Defense of Jargon, but I googled it and I can't find it. Uh, I, I looked through my old Quora site. I, I just don't, I don't know what happened to it, but, uh, I, I, I was interested in jargon for a while. So I'll try to try to repeat my forgotten thesis in an, in an allegedly published post. Um, jargon is interesting because we can construct jargon to have meaning so typically when we talk about jargon, we talk about office jargon and we talk about like something like Dilbert where it's like a hellscape because people are spewing things that don't really mean anything. But of course they, they do mean anything. It means something that just means something to that specific group of people. Uh, one of the pieces of jargon we could use is um, grok is a classic piece of co uh, corporate jargon, corporate specifically in the startup world. Grok was actually coined by uh, Heinlein, right? I think in Stranger in a Strange Land. Um, so Grok sort of means to understand. I, I Grok or I don't Grok. Mm. So, so you know, that that's an example. Uh, uh, I think the example I used in my blog post that maybe I never wrote was Let's Take It Offline, which was a piece of jargon that I learned at Ning and uh found it to be um pretty useful so so let's take it offline if i you know if i asked a stranger what do you think that means hey let's let's take it offline maybe they'd be able to guess it but it's pretty oblique like what what we used it for was if if you're in a synchronous meeting and, and things are starting to get a little bit derailed right like two people are going deep on a conversation that isn't the best use of time for the group you might butt in and say like hey y'all uh, let's take this offline um and uh, it, what was so powerful about that was it was an unencumbered way of um, influencing a behavior that otherwise would be quite difficult to do. Um, so the alternative, you know, if we use sort of plain language would be, hey, y'all, why don't you two mm, get some grab some time. Why don't you continue this conversation later? I guess. Can you, can, maybe this would be a good conversation for just you two to have. Uh, it, you know, you can feel all the power dynamics of basically telling people to shut up and uh, indicating that it's, you're, this isn't a good use of everybody's time. Um, but let's take it offline. It was like, it just was this lovely little turn of phrase and no one ever felt that they were being shut down or anything like that because they really weren't. It was, it was sort of just a plain way of talking about the value of that conversation who should be in it. Um, so I, I think jargon sometimes can be powerful almost precisely because it doesn't invite metaphor. Although let's take it offline as a little bit metaphor because take, we're taking something offline. What's the, I don't know, online, offline. Um, something that I like to say is I like to say like, let's noodle, I'm going to noodle on it. I just like the word noodle and like, uh, I, I just like how empty that word is. Like I, anytime there's, there's just fresh language. It, it really is appealing. Um, and, and on my sort of bleaker days, I think I'm so painfully aware of like all the saddle, how sort of saddled, how, 
how heavy a lot of our language is and you can almost feel like the weight of every word um, and its its cultural history so i think i've i've what have we done we've talked about images of organization talked about metaphor and preposition we've talked about uh, jargon one thing i think i'll do um in a pretty low key way i think i'm going to start a google doc and i'm going to publish it in the show notes and invite other people to contribute to it but i i also will expect to contribute to it and this will be a, a sort of a slow burning project but i wanted to capture powerful metaphors because recently in my life i've i've come across a few a few metaphors that seem to have like had some impact on me um the most recent maybe is is openness and it's it's something that i'm still exploring and don't fully understand yet but for whatever reason the the notion of becoming more open or opening myself up or allowing myself to be open has yielded results um, in somewhat surprising ways and it's it, i think it probably was from a yoga class in yoga sometimes like there will be and so I, I sound extremely california i should be super clear that i've done yoga like a handful of times and can barely do it at all but um your your body position and your pose sometimes we're invited to have uh, a pose where you can make a choice you can put your hands for instance palm down in a more grounded pose or you can lift your palms up skyward in a more open or receiving pose and so there's something about this this pose this opening and i'm trying to do it now to sort of evoke the feeling of it um that i think even now without triggering the body motion i'm able to just think about openness or think about that word and yeah like there's there's certain changes in mental states um I can sort of spread my fingers sometimes and think about like brushing fingertips against stimuli, um, maybe some hedges. Uh, yeah. And like, I don't know, I, I don't know what to say about it, but I wonder if there isn't like a, a list of sort of underexplored or extremely powerful metaphors. I wonder if it's all deeply personal. I wonder, I wonder what, but wouldn't it be cool if, it turned out that there are these powerful metaphors that when employed properly can actually uh, trigger pretty different ways of thinking. Um, no, I haven't, I haven't recently gone on a psychedelic trip. If I, if I sound that way, uh, although um, I'm always down. So if you, uh, you know, if you're, if you've got the supply, I've got the demand. I think that'll do it for this episode of the Barcast. Thank you for joining me. Check out the show notes um, for links to images of organization as well as that Google Doc. See you next time.